Good morning. I was surprised this morning that that song touched my heart. I mean, it's a great song, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> it doesn't always affect me. We have all kinds of stuff in our hearts, in our emotional hearts, that doesn't belong there. I grew up in a military family. That means we moved all the time. I was always the new kid. <laughs> Let me tell you, I hated being the new kid. <laughs> I had wild curly hair, naturally curly, that my mother didn't have any idea what to do with. Because <laughs> it was not in fashion. <laughs> so not only was I the new kid, I was the ugly new kid. I was almost 40 years old before I knew I wasn't hideously ugly. Because other kids told me all the time just how ugly I was. And when you're a little kid, guess what? You believe what other people say. So when I became a Christian, <laughs> the God who stays was not a God that I understood. You see, my daddy was away a lot. He was never home when I felt like I needed him because he was off doing the right thing, guarding the country. But when I came to God, I had this father image that daddy is not home. He's away. So this morning, when I'm singing The God Who Stays, my father whispers, that's the kind of daddy I am. Now, it's not that I don't know that in my head, but you know what? What I know in my head doesn't win in my life. What I know in my heart is what happens in my life. We can know the truth in our head, but until that truth becomes an experiential reality, we will be subject to whatever our heart believes. I debated about preaching this message, because I'm like, you sure, Jesus? <laughs> you sure about this? <laughs> and he gave me a scripture in Acts where Paul says, I will preach that which is profitable to you. That was his answer to me. You sure, Jesus? He says, this is profitable. It may not be popular, <laughs> but this is profitable. The title of this morning's message is, What is and isn't me? This morning, I want to continue to talk to you about living in agape love. The last time I ministered, I called this concept the ultimate prescription for our lives. I took this concept from the second book of John, where the Apostle John provides a prescription, quote unquote, to a lady pastor whose house church is encouraged to live their lives in truth and in agape love, and who is also strongly warned about not allowing corrupting lies to infiltrate her church through the false teachers. We have the same prescription today. The word prescription is taken from the Strong's Concordance. The Strong's Concordance defines the word command and commandment as referring to an authoritative prescription. And just like a prescription that a doctor would recommend for some type of ailment in order to remedy it, God has prescribed the ultimate prescription to remedy the painful ailments in our lives. Just as a quick review, I have my own translation up here again, 2 John, verses 4 and 6. And I call it my translation because I took the definition of the word command from the Strong's, and I translated the word love to agape, which is what it is in the Greek, and I combined it all together <laughs> in the ERV version. I was very happy to learn about some of your children. I am happy that they are following the way of truth just as the Father has prescribed for us. And now, dear lady, I tell you, we should all agape love each other. This is not a new prescription. 
I love that. It's a refill prescription. <laughs> it is the same prescription we had from the beginning. And agape love means living the way he prescribed for us to live. And God's prescription is this, that you live a life of agape love. You heard this prescription from the beginning. Agape love is our Father's kind and quality of love. It is what God himself says he actually is. He is agape love. And the word agape is just the Greek translation. I'm only using it so that we can differentiate between human love and God's kind of love. It is different from human love because human love is based on a two-way dynamic. I love you, you love me, everybody's happy. But this is a totally different kind of love. This is a selfless love. It is a very gentle and caring form of love. And it is not based on anything that someone can do or something they can't do. In other words, God doesn't love us because we're cute. <laughs> God doesn't love us because we're good. God doesn't love us because there's something wonderful about us, even though there is. He loves us because he is agape love, unconditional love. This kind of love cannot be broken no matter what happens. This kind of love communicates only good for the one who is loved. And because of this, it can also be a one-sided kind of love. And when it is one-sided, we recognize it as charity or gift love. It is the kind of love that loves without thought of return. We give it to others because our Heavenly Father has first given it to us. Our Heavenly Father loves us, even when we don't love him in return. He loves us because he is love. That is his identity. He is love. He is self-sacrificing, agape love. We will see this in 1 John chapter 4 in just a little bit. But before we look at that, I want you to see how the strong concordance translate the words for agape love. It is in the Greek number 25 and number 26. The word comes from agapeo, which is translated love, and it means affection or benevolence, especially, and it has plural, a love feast. Number 25 is the singular form of agape love. 26 is the plural form of agape love. But I want to start with what does affection and benevolence actually mean? According to the Webster's 1828, affection is a state of mind that is bent towards someone or something and includes both inclination of mind and passion of heart. We have affection towards someone. Our mind is already bent towards their good. That's already bent that we should enjoy them. <laughs> we have passion of mind and passion of heart. So it is how we think and it is how we feel. Benevolence means to do good, to be kind, to do acts of charity. The King James uses the word charity for agape love because it's the closest kind of translation they could get. What kind of love gives and doesn't expect to be loved back? The closest word they could come up with was charity. Because charity says, yes, I have, my mind is bent toward that you have a need. My heart has passion that, yes, I want to meet that need, but I know it would be a complete gift to you. You could never actually pay it back. That's why we call what we give to, quote unquote, charity. We understand we're not expecting anything in return. When we send money to Haiti to the children who need school supplies and food and all this, we're not expecting thank you cards. <laughs> we're not expecting that they're gonna do something good for us. We give because our mind and heart are bent in that direction. We want to do them good. That's who God is. He is good and kind, and he is inclined. That means he's bent that way. <laughs> you don't have to twist his arm to get him to do you good. He wants to do you good. He's inclined to do us good because he holds us close in both his mind and his heart. He knows the thoughts he thinks towards us. And he knows the affection and passion of his own heart is to do us good and not evil in order to promote our happiness and good. Yes, 
God wants us to be happy, but not with worldly stuff. He wants us to find our true happiness and our true love in him. In him is everything we need. In him is everything he's promised. In him we find our heart's desire. So every goodness and every kindness is found in our Father. So I've included in this passage of Scripture the thought of his love being received as being individual. That's the singular form of agape, number 25. And then I'm going to expand our <laughs> Scripture here so that you can see when it's plural. You see, when we read it, it doesn't tell us if it's agape singular or if it's agapeo plural. And interestingly enough, number 26 is always applied to God. And number 25, singular, is always applied to a person. So in the Strong's, we talk about the plural form of agape love. The Strong says it means a feast of love. Now when you think about a feast, I think of a really long table <laughs> stuffed with all kinds of good things. That is a picture of God's love, provision, kindness, goodness available to us. We have a feast of love that he wants us to partake of. I looked up feast in the 1828 dictionary, and it says to delight, to pamper, to gratify luxuriously, and to feast the soul. That's what our Father has for us, a feast that would satisfy our souls. That's what's available in God's kind of love. Now the scripture I'm going to ha I have for you is 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. It is the Passion Translation, and you will see I have added helps. <laughs> they are what is actually in the scripture. Starts with verse 7. Those who are agape loved individually by God. Let his feast of agape love continually pour from you to one another. Because God is agape love. He is a feast of agape love. Everyone who individually agape loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't individually agape love has yet to know God. For God is a feast of agape love. He is sacrificial. He is other-minded. He is full of goodness and kindness for someone other than himself. That's agape love. So this kind of love does what is best for someone else <laughs> instead of what is best or easiest for itself. Agape love is never self-focused. The light in verse 9 and 10 says this, The light of God's feast of agape love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is agape love. He agape loved us long before we agape loved him. It was his agape love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrifice, the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. You can see this is the feast of agape love. He individually loved us. See, that's really important. You see, people say, yeah, God loves everybody. That doesn't change anybody's heart. <laughs> but does he love me individually? You see, that's what's important is that we know this love by experience that we experience individually this feast of his love. It was his feast of love. In other words, we didn't have any feast apart from him, and we didn't have any agape apart from him. And it is his agape love that sent Christ to take our place. In verses 11 and 12, it says this, Delightfully loved ones. I really like that. I know in the King James it says, Beloved. <laughs> but what it means is delightfully loved. We are not just merely loved. God delights in doing us good. God delights in showing his love. We are delightfully loved. 
if he individually agape loves us with such a tremendous agape love, that would be the feast, then loving one another should be our way of life. Agapeing one another should be our way of life. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor. But if we individually agape love one another, God makes his permanent home in us, and we make our permanent home in him. And his feast of agape love is brought to its fullest expression in us. The way Greek is written is kind of backwards to how we normally speak. But I think the Apostle John said, well, wait a minute here. This sounds like it's conditional. If I love, then God will permanently abide. And that's not the case. And we can prove that by the next verse. Verse 13. And he has given us his spirit within us so that we can have the assurance that he lives in us and that we live in him. So often, scholars want to point us to doing. You have to do in order for God to permanently remain. That's not what it's talking about. When God permanently remains, walking in agape love becomes who we are. It becomes natural for us to walk in agape love when we understand how permanent he is, that he really is the God who stays no matter what. Why do we need this assurance? Because we don't always live a life of agape love. <laughs> That's why that verse sounds kind of scary. It sounds like, well, if I don't love, God might leave. That's not the case. It's not the case at all. We sometimes revert to our old programming and selfishness. And if we do, we don't have to worry or wonder if we're still saved. The Holy Spirit is always the evidence that we are truly saved, not our right behavior. He continues in verse 14. Moreover, we have seen with our own eyes and testified to the truth that Father God has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Those who give thanks that Jesus is the Son of God, living God, and God lives in them. We can see that the Apostle John is still trying to reinforce there's no getting rid of Jesus as the Son of God. You can't get to the Father except through Jesus. The Gnostics that he was dealing with kept telling people, you don't need Jesus. <laughs> He's not really God, therefore he cannot really be a mediator between God and man. Of course, Jesus was completely God and completely man. That's why he makes these emphasis that those who give thanks that Jesus is the Son of God live in God, and God lives in them. God is a feast of agape love. Those who are living in the feast of agape love are living in God, and God lives through them. By living in God, the feast of agape love has been brought to its full expression in us so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment. Because all that Jesus is now, so are we in this world. We are what he is. He is agape love in his nature. We are agape love in our nature. Our true heart wants to do good and to be kind. As new creations, we are what he is. That's the real us. Verse 18, the feast of agape love never brings fear. Fear never comes from God. Never. <laughs> if we're afraid of something, we are not hearing the voice of our Father. Fear never comes from God. He will never lead you in fear. In fact, scientists have proven when we are in fear, we are stupid. <laughs> our brains don't function properly when we're afraid. They've scientifically proven if you're making decisions because you're afraid, you're making wrong decisions. <laughs> fear makes your brain stupid. <laughs> so love never brings fear. This feast of agape love will never produce fear in us. For fear is always related to punishment. But the feast of agape love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. That's an amazing statement. 
for most of my Christian life, I was pretty sure God was going to send me a spanking somewhere along the way. I was always falling down. You must be sent to your room and you must be disciplined. <laughs> that's not who my father is and that's not how he treats me, his bride. Husbands ought not be spanking their brides. <laughs> that's not who God is. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached or enjoyed the feast of agape love's perfection. The word perfection can mean the completion of God's goal. Perfection doesn't mean without error or without sin. That's not what that actually means. Love's perfection means its completeness, its fullness, its maturity. A lot of times when you see the word in scripture, if we insert the word maturity, it makes much more sense and is more accurately understood. Our individual agape love for others is our grateful response to the individual agape love God first demonstrated to us. The word perfection can mean either maturity or the completion of a goal. The goal of our agape love with the Father is that it is who we are, we understand that that's who we are, and then that's how we live. The goal is to love each other. <laughs> the goal is to walk in this kind of unconditional love. The goal of God's feast of agape love is that we truly believe that we are just like Jesus right now. Not when we die, right now. And that there's no punishment coming from God for our sins and mistakes. If we know that we know that we know. <laughs> You have this place where you know stuff, <laughs> and you're not sure why you know it so well, but you know that you know that you know, the place of deep belief. If we know that we know that we know that God is not mad at us, and that he's not going to punish us for our sins, because Jesus has already taken all of our sins and paid the penalty of death in our stead, then the reality, the truth of our Father's agape love demonstrated through the cross makes us fear-proof. It makes us fear-proof. You can't be in love and in fear at the same time. Your brain won't let you do that. <laughs> Your brain won't let you. In other words, we can't be made afraid of judgment from God. So much of the church today is preaching judgment. Coronavirus, God's judgment. No, God doesn't have viruses that he's hiding going, go ahead, be naughty enough and I'll spread coronavirus all over you. You'll see you need to repent. That is not the message of the good news. The good news is Jesus took the punishment. The blood of Jesus delivers us from the coronavirus. The blood of Jesus makes us whole. The blood of Jesus has done everything. We don't have to fear God. God never wants us to be afraid of him. Now, if you don't know him, <laughs> you might want to seek out the truth <laughs> about what happens to people who don't know him. <laughs> but he still doesn't want you to be afraid of him. God's individual agape love for us, received by faith, changes who we are in our reality. In verse 19, we see that our individually receiving the truth of God's amazing unconditional love for ourselves is the key to our agape loving others. You cannot give away what you don't already know and understand. Verse 19 again, our individual agape love for others is our grateful response to the individual agape love God first demonstrated to us. Not only are we made in our nature agape love, he has given us the Holy Spirit who by his fruit <laughs> has supplied us with all the agape love we need. <laughs> we have everything we need. Imagine that. <laughs> so we can grow or mature in this revelation the more persuaded we are of our Father's feast of agape love for us and his provision of everything through Christ, the less we are able to be made afraid. So many believers wrestle with fear. They wrestle with fear of demons, fear of death, fear of God's displeasure, and fear that bad things will come to us as a punishment from God. Bad things do come into our lives from time to time, but they are never from God. Sin all by itself brings its own punishment, and other people's stupidity <laughs> can bring punishment, but it's not God. 
And of course, we can sow to the flesh or we can sow to the spirit. You can't do both at the same time. <laughs> but when we grow more and more in our understanding of the finished works of Jesus, the more peace, love, and rest we can live in because we realize who we really are. We are agape love in our nature. If Jesus is agape love, then we are agape love because we are one spirit with him. As he is right now at the Father's right hand, so are we in this world, especially pertaining to agape love, to the self-sacrificing love. Through the death of Christ, we understand what self-sacrificing love looks like. In Romans 5, 8, it says this, but God demonstrates his own feast of agape love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for ungrateful, unkind, hurtful, deceptive, evil, undeserving people. <laughs> he sacrificed himself on our behalf. He laid down his life for the love and good of all humanity. That's the kind of love that lives inside our true hearts. That is who we really are. We are one spirit with Christ. He is a feast of love. And that makes us a feast of love too. And that's what our Father calls us to do, to let others feast on what we already possess, his amazing agape love. Our goal is to do and live agape love. It's what we do because it's who we are. God never tells us what to feel. He doesn't say, feel like loving your enemies. Guess what? It's never going to happen. <laughs> You're not going to feel all warm and squishy. <laughs> agape love is based more on will and desire than on feelings. Okay. Now, does God have passion for us? Yes. He, we are in his mind and in, we are in his heart. But when he tells us to love people who are naughty, <laughs> people who hurt us and they're unkind, how do we do that? Do we wait to feel a certain way? <laughs> Let me help you. No. <laughs> we have to choose to treat them how he wants us to treat them. It's our goal to do agape love, not feel agape love. He tells us how to treat others based on who and what we are, not based on who and what they are. It's about us understanding who we are and what we're called to do. We are called to treat other people the way we would treat ourselves. We love ourselves. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> and that's why God says, love them as you love yourself. Now, this is our starting point. We need to know what kind of new creation we really are. We are agape creations. We are agape creatures. I love that word. Whenever I hear the word creature, I always think of something with antennas. <laughs> this little love bug has extra arms. This is Mark. He needs more arms so he can hug more people. <laughs> he is really a love bug. <laughs> he doesn't care if you like being loved. He's going to love you anyway. It's just sort of like God. <laughs> That's who we are. And anything that doesn't come from agape love doesn't come from the real us. We need to know what is and what isn't me. So we know, especially from this passage of scripture, that if I'm living in fear, it's not coming from the real me. Because the real me is agape love. <laughs> I'm a love bug. <laughs> and agape love actually casts out fear. Fear can't live in the presence of God's amazing agape love. Just like darkness can't exist in the same place as light, because darkness is the absence of light. In the same way, fear is actually the absence of agape love. Normally, we would think that the opposite of fear is faith. 
But faith only works by love, agape love. So love is our foundation. Love is our nature. Nothing works apart from agape love. Faith works or is effective only through agape love. Not our love for others, but knowing and feasting on the agape love of our Father for us. It's faith in his love for us that causes our faith to actually be effective. So if I'm not living a life of agape love the way I want to, why is that? <laughs> if I'm agape love in my nature, why don't I automatically walk in self-sacrificing love? What's wrong with me? The truth is, there is really nothing wrong with who we are. We are, in reality, agape love in our true heart and being. But we have had bad programming in our head, in our conscious and subconscious memories, and in our emotional heart, the place of deep belief. And science now recognizes that even our physical bodies carry memories in ourselves. They're not just in our head. In fact, some people who have had heart transplants have actually experienced some of the memories of the person who donated the heart. There is a documented incident where an eight-year-old girl received a heart of a 10-year-old girl who had been murdered and who had begun, after having the transplant, she started having reoccurring dreams of the actual murder. Now, the hospitals do not give away the information of the donor. That is kept private. So they had no idea where this heart came from. They had no idea that it was a victim of a murder. So this girl started having dreams of this murder. And so they took her to a psychiatrist because they thought she was crazy. <laughs> but the psychiatrist believed after a time that the girl was actually recounting an actual incident. And so they contacted the police. And they were able to provide clues such as the time of death, the weapon, the place where it happened, and even the clothes worn by the murderer, all of which led to a conviction of the murderer of that little girl. Can you say God? <laughs> okay, our cells, our heart carry memories. They're proving that memory is through all out our body. So memory and memory is sometimes our biggest problem. <laughs> That was a problem for her until they figured out what to do about it. All of our memories are powerful and they can and do interfere with the communication of who we are in our spirit to the outside world. The last time I ministered, I told you about how I learned from Joyce Myers years ago that the root of impatience was pride. Now, <laughs> Pride is when I think more highly of myself than I do somebody else. In other words, I'm more important and I shouldn't have to wait for you. You should get out of my way on the highway because I have some place I need to be. I must be more important than you are. That's what impatience comes from. It comes from a wrong belief. The belief that I'm more important or that I shouldn't have to wait for you. You need to go faster or get out of the way. <laughs> that's not agape love. That's pride. <laughs> now, when I first heard that, I thought, oh, no. Oh, I'm bad again, God. <laughs> oh, I have an evil heart full of pride. Oh, no. Oh, woe is me. <laughs> You see, I didn't know there was a difference between the real me and my faulty understanding of me. My first instinct was to pray and tell God how sorry I was that I was prideful and that I needed him to change what I called, at that point, my heart. I thought I was what I felt. So if I feel pride or impatience, that must be who I am. You see, that's why I went to God begging and pleading for him to change me because <laughs> I'm bad. <laughs> no, it was never the truth. My thinking was wrong, but I was always righteous. I was always agape love in my nature, even though my thinking was totally wrong. I saw my heart as being full of evil, self-centered pride, and there was nothing I could do to change myself. That much I knew. 
I had a victim mentality, and I saw myself as powerless to change. So I needed him to cleanse my heart and make me right with him again. Bad theology. <laughs> Was pride the real me? No. The real me has been born of God, who is himself a feast of agape love. And as we just saw in 1 John, as Jesus is, so am I right now. I am born of agape love. So the truth is, there is nothing wrong with the real me. This is important to know. <laughs> I am not broken. <laughs> I am not prideful or impatient. So then why do I sometimes feel prideful and impatient? Have you ever noticed that pride and impatience feels icky? Yes, it does. It feels icky. <laughs> when I feel it, I go, God, it's icky in there. <laughs> I don't like it because it's not who I am. Sinners don't care if they're prideful. Why? It's who they are. When we act contrary to who we are, we feel icky. Our heart is saying, hey, that's not the real you. There's something wrong with your thinking. There's nothing wrong with the you. You are just fine. You are agape love. Your thinking is wrong. Your believing is wrong. Sinners don't care that they are rude, impatient, and mean-spirited because they live out of their true heart. Our true heart contains the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. That's the real us. The only reason these don't manifest more easily is because of the lies and misinformation that has been programmed into us while we were growing up or while we were living according to the fallen nature. So there can be a difference between who we really are in the spirit and how we feel and behave in the flesh. We can see this truth in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 17. This is the literal translation from 1985. Starting with verse 17, it says this. Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord that you no longer walk, which means to live or behave, even as the rest of the nations do in the vanity of their mind. Their mind, having been darkened in the intellect, being alienated from the very life of God through ignorance, which is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, who, having cast off all feeling, gave themselves up to lust, to the working of all uncleanness and greediness. In other words, they live according to who they are in their heart, unregenerated. <laughs> but, you have not so learned Christ. I like this because we do learn Christ. <laughs> not only are we one spirit with him, not only are we his bride and his child, we have to learn from him who we really are. Verse 21, if indeed you heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Here we see the relationship. If we hear him and are taught in him, we have that renewed heart. And it goes on, for you have put off the old man. I like this because it's past tense. We are not dying every day trying to kill an old man who won't die. <laughs> Our old man is dead. We don't have two natures. We have one. He says, you have put off the old man. We were crucified with Christ as regards to former behavior, having been corrupted according to its deceitful lusts. Our old man really is crucified but he left stuff in our brain. <laughs> he left his old ways of understanding, his wrong interpretations. He left all of his icky stuff in our head. <laughs> we have his memories. And because of that, we need the next verse. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Isn't that an interesting way to put that? The spirit of your mind. Science has not been able to find a thing called the mind. Most scientists don't even recognize that humans are spiritual beings. So it's interesting that the Apostle Paul uses this terminology. Scientists know that our brains hold most of our memories, but the mind isn't actually part of the brain. Science says that when our brain functions, it produces what we recognize as our mind. But here we see that our mind 
is a function of our spirit. That's why they can't find it. <laughs> they know it's alive and aware when our brain is working. But there's no place in our head called the mind. It's a function of our spirit. Our mind is where we hear ourselves, where we hear God, and occasionally we hear Satan. <laughs> so this is where we need renovation. The word renewed means to renovate. It means to tear out what is bad and build in what is good. So by renovating our mind, we can put on the new man. In other words, we can purposely operate according to who we really are, which is found in the next verse, verse 24. And put on the new man. doesn't say we need to go get him. <laughs> we have him. He's the real us. He's on the inside. He says we need to take him and put him on the outside where people can see him. <laughs> which, according to God, was created in righteousness and true holiness. Who are we really? We are righteous and truly holy because that's how God created us. This is the real us. We can put on, on purpose, the real us. <laughs> we can purposely act like Jesus. <laughs> it's who we really are. So we can choose to ignore how we feel at the moment and choose to do what we know is right. For example, recently I was speaking with someone who was having a hard time in one of her relationships. And in her frustration, she said to me, she says, I'm just going to pretend that everything is okay and I'll just put on a fake smile. <laughs> she was going to do it, you know, just walk in love. <laughs> and I said to her, you know, you don't have to pretend anything. Just put on the truth of who Jesus made you to be. You don't have to pretend that you're agape love. You don't have to put on a fake Smile. You can say, no, by faith, I put on the Lord Jesus Christ. True love is who I really am, and that's what I'm going to walk in. I'm going to do you love even if you don't like it. <laughs> I'm going to do you love. God never told us to feel a certain way. Agape love isn't a feeling. It's a choice. We can simply choose to put who we are on the outside. Verse 25. Therefore, putting off or taking out the false, speak truth each with his neighbor, because we are members one of another. This verse starts with the word therefore, <laughs> which means because of what I just said, because that is the truth, do this. In other words, in light of the fact that you are created righteous and truly holy, take off or tear out that which is false in your minds and speak only what is actually true with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because he is talking about believers talking to believers, not necessarily people who live next door. <laughs> this verse is oddly translated by scholars. A lot of the paraphrases, it doesn't say put off the false. It says stop lying. <laughs> That's not exactly the same thing. Now, is it a good idea to stop lying? Yes. That's not what he's talking about. That isn't the context of the scripture we just read. He's talking about what's in our minds. Now, these falsehoods are, in fact, lies. We have misinformation in us. We overreact to things because of misinformation in us. But he's talking about getting rid of what is false in your mind so that you can speak what is true to your neighbor. The whole context is about the spirit of our mind. <laughs> and the words of the false is actually a noun, not a verb. What translators do is they turn a noun into a verb. Stop lying. That's not what it's saying. He's saying, take what is false in your mind and get rid of it. Put it off. <laughs> now, when believers talk about renewing the mind, they usually think about stuffing a lot of scripture or a lot of messages into their mind which is a truly valid way to renew your mind. However, it can be a rather slow method of renewing your mind. Like meditation of the word, it definitely works, but it takes quite a bit of time to let the Holy Spirit turn the light on on the inside of us. We must remember that renewing our minds isn't something we can do all by ourselves. It is the working of the Holy Spirit as we spend time with or in the word. 
who is able to dissolve or put off the falsehoods that we believe. Of course, we can choose to embrace what the Word says and embrace the fact that God says it's the truth and that we can choose to believe. But we still need the Holy Spirit to eliminate the truth to us in such a way that it becomes real. For it to be effective, it has to go from something we know in our head to experiential knowledge in our heart. The word renewing or renovating refers infers that there is stuff in our heads that needs to be torn down and thrown out. This is especially true when we talk about memories. Years ago, I went to an inner healing seminar that literally changed my life. And I have talked about it before. 20 years ago, it was scandalous. Everyone was, was like, oh, no, that's not of God. <laughs> but it became an international ministry to Christians. It was called Theophostics at the time. Theophostic, God's light. It's actually a simple process. I'm going to talk about it. But it was about getting rid of the darkness, getting rid of that which was wrong in the mind and heart of believers. But it was really the most powerful way of putting off of falsehoods that I had ever come across. Today, it is called the Transformational Prayer Ministry. The problem with this ministry is that it takes a long time. The process is easy, but you can go on this website for uh, Transformational Prayer Ministry, and they will teach you the whole seminar. It's been updated, and all kinds of helps are available for you. But he always said it takes one to two hours to get one thing torn out and the truth put in because of the process. It just took a lot of time. Now, I actually did this. I went through the seminar, and I actually told God I was not going to do it to myself. I would be happy to help you with your problems, but I wasn't going to go looking around in my own heart. <laughs> God had to convince me that my real problems were always coming out of my heart. I believed things that weren't true about myself and about my God. Those are the things, the falsehoods that need to come out and the truth needs to be put in. So I learned to do this and I did it with other people. And finally God said, no, you have to do it on you. <laughs> no, I don't want to. Because <laughs> I was afraid of what I would find in my own heart. You see, I thought I was evil and prideful and hateful. I thought I was all those ugly things, and I didn't want to go looking in my heart if that's who it was. I just soon not know. <laughs> I didn't understand the difference of who I am in my spirit, who I am in my nature, who God has created me to be, and the garbage that other people told me I was. Now, I have prayed on many occasions that God would come up with a faster plan, <laughs> an easier way to do the same thing. You see, you and I, do this probably all the time anyway. When we go to the Word, God, speak to me in your Word. God, give me a promise. God, correct my thinking. God, yes, that is the normal way we do this. And that takes a long time too. I recently came across a book called The Love Code. It is not a Christian book. It is written by a Christian, but you won't find a whole bunch of Christianese in here. This is written for whosoever's. You can be a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Christian, and this will teach you the simple process of tearing out that which is false and putting in that which is true. So if you're ever interested in reading this book, don't be surprised that it doesn't sound like a Christian. However, he does instruct everybody to pray. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> he tells them he's a believer and that you're free to believe in whatever God you'd like, but he believes in Jesus Christ. And so in his method of tearing out the old and bringing in the new, he starts with the laying on of hands. Now, when I saw this, I thought, this is brilliant and incredibly simple. Our memories are in our brain, in our mind, and in our heart. So he tells people, we're going to start by laying hands on our brain, <laughs> our mind, and our heart. For one to three minutes, you ask God to flood you with his love, light, and truth. One to three minutes, three different positions. Now, I thought, hmm, this is so like God. It's super easy. We know the Holy Spirit can work where we can't see or feel. So this is amazing, right? I thought, now he says it's faster 
that you can do this process in about six to 10 minutes. I thought that's a whole lot better than several hours. <laughs> I spent about six months, several times a week, doing this process for about uh, for like six months until I was pretty much cleaned out of a lot of the falsehoods. I could live my life differently. I could live my life in agape love because God had helped me remove all of the falsehoods. So I knew this was the most powerful way to get somebody free because we are not bound in our spirit. We are not lacking any good thing. Our only problem is what is in our mind, (laughs) our brain, and our heart. (laughs) When I had done this process for about six months, someone at work said to me, are you in love? I was like, what? (laughs) He didn't even have a clue back then. (laughs) I was like, what are you talking about? She says, you are different. What are you doing that's different? I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) She says, you must be in love. I said, well, there's no man in my life, if that's what you're talking about. But yes, I am in love. His name is Jesus. And you're like, that's enough of that. <laughs> you see, when I got rid of the falsehoods in the spirit of my mind, I was walking in this feast of love that other people could actually see. Now, the process is relatively easy, but um, this book is 260 pages long. <laughs> and I can't give you everything that's in there. So this is just the easy, simple way to do this. First of all, it is imperative before we do it to recognize what is and is not coming from the real us. The real us has no irritations, no negative emotions. When we find ourselves with negative emotions, they are actually coming from falsehoods that are stuck in our memories. The problem is we always believe everything we believe is true. We always believe everything we believe is true, even if it's not. We think it is. (laughs) That's the power of a deception. That's the power of a falsehood. We think what we believe is true. But the scientists who actually study this sort of thing say that 50% of what all of us believe is wrong because it isn't based in reality. It's based in perspective. Think about the perspective of a child. Do children interpret correctly everything that goes on in their life? No. (laughs) They misunderstand a lot. So there's a lot of junk in our brain, our mind, and our heart of misinterpretation, of lies. One of the misinterpretations I had is daddy is gone a lot. If God is daddy, daddy must be gone a lot. (laughs) He must be somewhere else doing something more important than taking care of me. Now, is that a reality? Is that the truth of who my father is? No. But yet, even this morning, the Lord's like, I am the daddy who never leaves. I am the daddy that stays home to take care of you. That's who I am. He's still revealing the fullness of his feast of love. Now, we can understand that children misunderstand a lot of things. We have certain perspectives in our lives. We have a child's perspective. We have a victim's perspective. We have a trauma victim perspective. All of these things interpret the outside world in a certain way. And as children, we don't necessarily understand that our perspective is skewed and that there are truths about our situations that we simply don't understand. So this book gives us the easy way. I was surprised. Like I said, I used to do the old-fashioned way, and it would take one to two hours. This takes six to 10 minutes. Recently, what happened was I was out with my husband. We were out doing stuff and had this fleeting, icky (laughs) feeling that came, a condemnation. It only lasted a couple of seconds. I thought, what was that? It's not from God. God doesn't produce icky. (laughs) What is that? I just sort of blew it off. That's weird. So when I read this book, I thought, well, I'll test this out and see if this actually works faster the way he says it does. And so I did the three minutes, brain, mind, and heart, asking God to minister to me healing by the Holy Spirit. The answer to that is always yes. (laughs) And then I said, okay, Lord, where does this memory come from? What is this icky feeling about? And I instantly, I mean instantly, it brought up a memory. I had been in that memory lots of times because there was lots of junk in there. But what it was, when I was about four, 
I was naughty, and I was sent to my room. And I had to wait for my discipline. <laughs> and my mom came in, and she's explaining why I'm going to be disciplined. And she says to me, I know you hate me. I hated my mother when she had to discipline me too. I know you hate me. And my little brain said, what? <laughs> I, I don't hate you. You don't understand at all. I hate me. I hate that I'm naughty. I hate that I'd make you unhappy. I hate me. Why don't you understand? I don't hate you. Now, I had been there before, <laughs> and I never got any farther than that. As soon as I got to that part, I was like, what's the truth, Lord? He goes, wait, listen. My next thought as a little four-year-old was, I don't deserve to live. You see, I'm too naughty. I'm too much of a pain in my mom's butt to live. <laughs> Where did a little kid get an idea like that? It wasn't from my mom. Who is it that goes around whispering lies like that about our identity? Satan whispered that. That's what I felt. And just as soon as I remembered, I was like, oh, there was more. <laughs> uh, I said, oh, I see. I felt like I didn't deserve to keep living because I was so naughty. And he says, yes, but I have given you life and life more abundant. That's why you felt guilty. Because the little girl inside you said, I don't deserve to be happy. I don't deserve to have this marriage. I don't deserve to have this life. And just for that fleeting second, I felt it. When God speaks the truth to you, the lie goes away. The lie is torn down and ceases to be powerful. I would think God maybe did that for me so that I would have this because I have, with the Lord Jesus Christ, removed a whole lot of that garbage. I am a happy person. <laughs> I live in a God they love. I have, with Christ, torn out the lies, torn out the falsehoods of my identity. Grace, grace does the same thing. We understand the fullness of God's grace. Our identity starts to change. But this is a simple way. You find a feeling you don't like. You pray over yourself, <laughs> mind, brain, and, and heart. Ask Jesus to bring in the, the truth and only the truth of who we are. That's one of the things he tells them to pray. We want to ask God to reveal to us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth of who I am and who I'm not. I need to walk in my true identity as a son of God. And we can do this. It's really easy. It is about finding the lies and letting God speak the truth. It is really easy. <laughs> I was surprised at how super fast it was. It really did only take about 10 minutes. As adults, we live with lies and misinterpretations that are hidden in our early childhood memories. Everyone has a variety of bad programming. <laughs> and it's this bad programming that prevents us from operating freely from our spirit man. We can put off that which is false regarding our identity and our father's identity. The negative feelings and thoughts don't come from the real us. If you are struggling with negative feelings, they're not coming from you. They're coming from something false in your understanding. God will never make you feel bad. Truth and love always feel good. We are agape love in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We each need to know for ourselves what is and isn't me. We need to recognize what is bad programming and what is the truth about who we are. The truth is pride is not me. Impatience is not me. Hate is not me. I am agape love in my nature, and I choose to live a life of agape love by the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't really matter if we use a specific process like is in this book, The Love Code, or we learn a different process that's basically the same at the Transformational Prayer Ministry online. Or if we just go to Jesus with the written word and we ask him to reveal the truth about who we are, that we believe things. If we have negative feelings, we believe things that aren't true. Every time you have a negative feeling, we need to go to the word, God, what do you say? What is the truth about me? What is the truth about you? Show me the truth. I want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's who we are. We can choose to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and walk and live in the feast of his agape love. Amen?
Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is always revealing truth. Father God, yes, in our perspectives, we have learned lots of wrong things. We have learned things we didn't even realize we learned. Father God, but we thank you that by your Spirit, you reveal that which is false, and you replace it. You turn the light on so that we can walk in truth, that we can walk in the, uh, the true identity of who we are as sons of the living God, people who are made of agape, self-sacrificing love. That's who we are. And we thank you, Father God. We ask that you open our understanding. You help us, Father God, to walk in the truth of all that you have made us to be and all that you called us to do. And we thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' name, amen.